Well, there has been Toy Story 2 and Mission Impossible 2 and Transformers 2. But this morning we come to Peter 2. Peter was an apostle. And he put things in order. An apostle was kind of like a a developer who would buy a, a mountain with trees and create a resort, put in a golf course and put in the, the development and the clubhouse and, and turn the raw land into something. That's what an apostle did. He would go into a territory where no one had heard about Jesus and establish a church and put the pieces together. In both 1 Peter and 2 Peter, the only way Peter identifies himself is Peter, an apostle. That's what he did. That's who he was. He put things in order. When we come to Peter 2, his second letter, It's different than the first, but it's somewhat of a sequel. In the first letter, Peter took on the whole issue of suffering. And why do bad things happen to good people? What's the purpose of adversity in the life of a Christian? And it's quite amazing all that Peter did in his first letter to help us as followers of Christ, deal with our daily issues. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 say that suffering is purposeful. Just as fire heats up gold to bring the impurities to the surface so that the gold can be better, suffering tests us so that we come through better. Chapter 4 verse 12 says suffering is to be expected. It shouldn't hit us sideways when we encounter suffering. It's to be patiently endured. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 23. In fact, it's to be rejoiced in. Chapter 4 verse 13. It unites us with Christ and His sufferings so that we can participate further with Christ. Chapter 1, verse 11. And it says that it's often God's will to allow suffering in our lives. Chapter 4, verse 19. But bottom line, when it comes to suffering, the first letter that Peter wrote says that we are not ever to be afraid of suffering. Chapter 3, verse 14. All that, when it comes to suffering, how we should walk through the difficulties of life. All that help for us in the trials that we face in life. Now, uh, Peter 2, the second letter that he writes, does not take on suffering. The second letter that he writes takes on false teachers. Those that have infiltrated the church and are teaching things that are flat out wrong and destructive. And it's interesting, of all the stuff that Peter says about false teachers, 12 of the points that he makes about the false teachers, Jude identifies exactly the same list of 12 characteristics of the false teachers. 
So since we're in Jude next week, we're going to save all those for next week. We're going to see that they deny Christ. They speak evil of the truth. They merchandise the gospel. They gratify their own desires. They despise authority. They are self-willed. They speak evil against sacred things. They are brute beasts, blemishes. Their eyes are full of adultery. They entice and deceive people. They're greedy and deceptive. They have gone astray. They're like wells without water, like clouds without rain, like those that serve their own desires, and like a dog that returns to its vomit or a pig to go back and wallow in the mud is what they're like. But we're going to save all that for next week when we take on the book of Jude. This morning, Peter 2. Now, in chapter 1, he identifies the fact that God has revealed to him that his days are numbered. That soon he's going to be leaving this body. Verses 13 and 14. He says, this, this tent of my body I'm about to leave behind because God has shown me I'm about to go to heaven. So what he's doing, he's in the mindset, I've led many of these people to Christ. I have begun to establish them, but now I'm going to put the finishing pieces in place. I'm going to do my final part. Just as the one he spent his life following, Jesus knew before he died that he was going to die and he had a purpose in his death. Similarly, Peter knew before he was going to die. And just as Jesus prepared his disciples for his own departure, his death, his resurrection, his ascension back into heaven. Jesus prepared his followers. Now Peter is preparing his followers. And if you remember, Jesus said to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that after you have stood the test, you will turn back and strengthen your brothers. Now, Peter is doing in the book of Peter 2 exactly what Jesus told him to do. He's now, having been through the fire, he's now putting his finishing pieces on the work of discipling his followers so that when he leaves, they are not thrown, but they are as steadfast in following Christ as they were when Peter was still with them. That's the book of Second Peter. It's also interesting that Peter throws out three little, um, almost like name dropping. He, he drops three very personal items. He mentions the fact that he was there on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and Elijah when he heard with his own ears the Father saying to the Son, You're my Son whom I love. I am so pleased with you. Listen to him. Peter says in the book of Second Peter, chapter 1, that he was there when the Father spoke to the Son. Then in chapter 3, verse 1, he identifies the fact that he wrote First Peter. Oh, just in case you didn't realize, I'm the guy that wrote the first book of Peter. And then by, before he gets to the end of chapter 3, he mentions, oh, and my good friend Paul, perhaps you've heard of the Apostle Paul. He's my good friend. So he, he drops these, these little morsels in there just to add a little 
Like, whoa. A little awe to his credentials. And he lays it out there. Now, rather than spending time with all the different pieces of this book, we're going to bring it down, and I want you just to follow this, please. In the first chapter, we're going to start with verse 3 through 10. This is where we're going to camp out this morning. Now, I want to just ask you a couple questions as we begin, just to put this in the pocket for you. Just to give you a handle. Have you ever felt as a Christian that you were not as effective as you could be? Have you ever felt like, I wish I could follow Christ the way that guy does or the way that gal does. I'm just, I'm not there yet. I, I wish I was more mature. I wish I was more consistent. I wish I was more fruitful and effective. If you have ever felt that way, this is for you. Now just follow this. It says, verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. His divine power, that's the Holy Spirit, has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Now, life is like all of the above. If it's your marriage, your family, raising children, finances, your job, that's life. God, by the Holy Spirit, has given us all equally Everything we need for all of life and particularly for godliness, for living like Jesus in this world. He's given us all everything we need. Now it goes on. And I love verse, leaving verse three into four. It goes on. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them, through these promises, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. There's the positive and the negative. There's the positive of being empowered to partake and participate in the very nature of God and the negative of escaping the corruption that is going on in the world through evil desires. Now, what is it that enables us in the positive to partake of His divine nature and in the negative to avoid the corruption? It's the promises of God. And I want this morning to do everything I can to whet your appetite for the promises of God so that you will get a taste for the promises of God. The promises of God are described here as very great and precious. Now, let's start with the word precious. These promises, like, I will never leave you or forsake you. Or like, for I am convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Or like, my God will supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Or like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or like, 
For I know that in everything God works for good for those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. Now, when it says they're precious, what that means is, I've tried them and they have helped me through some difficult times. They have done for me. They have produced for me. They've been fruitful for me like nothing else could have ever done for me. The promises of God have done for me. They're precious. They're endeared to my life. They're ingrained in my soul because of all these promises have done for me. Now, if, if you're smiling now, it's because you can identify with me. You know what I'm talking about. You have claimed some of the promises and they've rung true for you. And you're sitting there, man, I know what this guy's talking about. They are precious. But I feel sorry for the rest of you. And I don't say that condescendingly. I want to bring you along as well. So that these promises will be just as precious to you. But they're not going to be precious until they are very great. It says they the very great and precious promises. Very great means they work. They're very great like they have the power to do what nothing else can do for me. Now, these are promises. The promises are given so that we can participate in God's nature. Get at God. For instance, Jesus stood up and He said at a feast, He said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to Me and drink. And out of His innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That's a promise. But that promise will empower you to partake of His nature so that you can receive what it's talking about. You can receive the fullness. And so that out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And escape the corruption that's in the world. Such as. How about this promise? Flee the evil desires of youth. And pursue righteousness, joy, and peace along with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. That's a promise for you to empower you to escape the corruption that's in the world. Or this one. No temptation has come to you except that which is common to man. And with it, God has provided the way of escape so that you can get out of it. That's a promise. 1 Corinthians 10.13 Why? That promise is given so that you can escape the corruption that's in the world. Or what about this one? How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's a promise. That will empower, that by the way, that's Psalm 119, 9 and 11. That's got enough power to empower you to escape the corruption that's in the world. But the Bible's full of those kinds of promises that are given for this very purpose. The end of chapter 1 reinforces why this book is so powerful like that. 
why the commands of God become the promises of God. The things that God's calling us to do, His Word empowers us to be able to do. It says, the last verse of chapter 1, Peter 2, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For the prophet never had its own origin in the will of man, but people spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. As we finish up our study through the Bible, 66 books written by 40 people over 1,600 years, but every one of those authors, humanly, were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's why this book has so much power and why the promises contained in this book are empowering promises. They're imparting promises. They are activating promises so that to us is activated the very presence and nature of God and the power to escape the corruption that is in the world. The Bible says if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit and by the sword of the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. I'm glad we're getting a few amens. We ought to be getting a few amens this morning. Hallelujah. Now, after the verses we're going to zero in on, look at verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is big on the knowledge of Christ. He refers to it in verse 3. He refers to it there in verse 8. But notice, these qualities that he's emphasizing, and there are eight of them, the qualities that Jesus is, or Peter is emphasizing here, it says, will keep us from being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of God. But then the, the opposite, verse 9, but if anyone does not have them, he or she is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. Be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. That's what I'm talking about. Praise God. Now, hang on, because we're going to look at these eight. Okay? Lord, help the boy. Intercessors, pray for me. The rest of you look up at me. I want to put this in your pocket. I, I am so excited right now because I'm your pastor. And I want you to be effective and productive. I want your life to be brimming over with good things. And here's what you need to be effective. And I know some of you this morning really need this passage. Verse 5. Add to your faith goodness. Add to your goodness, knowledge. Add to your knowledge, self-control. Add to your self-control, perseverance. Add to your perseverance, godliness. Add to your godliness, brotherly kindness. Add to your brotherly kindness, love. Oh, I love this. I love this. I'm so excited. 
Now, now just watch this. Watch this. These are eight distinct callings that it's like offered to us on a silver platter. But we are to add them. It's like online shopping. What do you want to add to your cart? Oh, I want to add to my faith. I've already got faith. Now I want to add, I want to add goodness. And then you hit that one. And now I want to add knowledge. And I want to add self-control. And I want to add perseverance. You can keep adding. It's free. It's free. God bless you. Nice to see you guys. I love people who sit on the front row. That's just awesome. Now, follow this. Follow it. Faith, we're talking about salvation. You come to faith in Jesus Christ. You recognize that you're not going to get saved by being a Muslim, a Buddhist, or even a nominal Christian or Jew. Or It's not the religion that saves you. It's Jesus Christ alone who saves you. And you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's faith. It's referring to salvation. Salvation is not the end. Salvation is the beginning. We had 42 children this week profess faith in Christ. Praise God. That's not the end. That's the beginning. That's the beginning. Now we've got our work cut out for us. But you add to your faith once you're saved. You build on that. That's always the starting point. You add to your faith goodness. That's virtue. Moral purity. It comes from Christ. It all, every, all this comes from Him. But you add goodness. Again, it's referring to virtue. Moral purity. You add to that knowledge. You develop a hunger for the Word of God and you want to learn more. You attend Bible studies. You bring your children to Sunday school and they learn more about, about the things of God. That's knowledge. Knowledge is good. Especially the knowledge of God, which this is primarily talking about. We want our children to be educated in everything, but especially in the things of God. We add knowledge and we get into Bible study. But now watch this. You add to your knowledge self-control. Self-control is referring to service. We begin serving the Lord. Up until now, we've just been sponges. We get saved. We add virtue. We add knowledge. So we're now in Bible study or Sunday school classes or our life groups. But then we start serving. And that's self-control. Now, this, this portrays the normal Christian development. You get saved, you add virtue, you add knowledge, and you add service. Okay, now you're serving the Lord. That's a normal progression. But now follow this, please. I want everybody looking up at me just for one second. This next one is the make it or break it. It's the line of demarcation. So far, it's simple. Anyone can do this. It's all good. Everything's going well. But now watch this. What is the next thing we add? Perseverance. Why? Because this is when God turns up the heat. This is when everything isn't going my way. Now that I'm serving the Lord, I'm going to encounter some things. I'm going to not necessarily hit a buzzsaw, but I'm going to face some difficulties, some trials along the way. So many missionaries, pastors, church workers, worship team people, children's workers, nursery workers, they get involved. Everything's been fine as a Christian, a piece of cake. But then you come to that place where you're going to be tested. We all are. 
It's not that the church is rotten. It's not that you need another church. You need another marriage. You need another family. You don't abandon. You add perseverance. Perseverance is in response to the difficulties you'll face in the process. But now watch this. This is, this is where it really starts getting sweet. You add to your perseverance godliness. Now this is a great definition of godliness. Godliness is the grace to respond to those who mistreat us the same way Jesus would. Let me say that again. Godliness is the grace to respond to those who mistreat us the same way Jesus would respond. And when Jesus was held up before the tribunal, He didn't even open His mouth. He was not self-justifying. Like a lamb before His shears, He didn't open His mouth. Now, you don't need that early on. You need that after you add perseverance. Now you add godliness because now you can turn around and those who didn't treat you right, you can turn back and bless them. But you're not done. You add to your godliness brotherly kindness. This is beautiful. The footnote, what I put in your notes is sensitivity. But it's more than being like hypersensitive, fragile. It's a sensitivity for the needs of others. So you can now feel what other people are, and you can go beneath the surface with people and not just deal with surface needs. You can deal with root needs. But you're still not done. You add to that love. The greatest of these is love. Colossians chapter 3, and over all these other things put on love which binds everything together in perfect unity. It's the sunum bonum. It's the highest good. It's the greatest thing in life is love. But it, notice it's at the end of the progression. If you don't go through the fire and, and handle perseverance properly and add to your, your knowledge perseverance, you're n- never going to get out here. And at, when you're out here, you notice in your diagram how there's like a wedge What that is, it's you start disappearing and there's more of Christ. If you want to, out on the end, under love, you can put a big cross. Because there's less of you and there's more of Jesus. Because you've been burned up, you've been consumed. Your self-life is disappearing. You've learned that you're not the big deal. Christ is the big deal. And until we get out of the way, we can't fully show Christ. It's the same thing John the Baptist said. I must decrease, he must increase. It's the same way for the Christian life. Paul got to the place where he said, for me to live is Christ. It's all him. Whether I live or die is totally irrelevant to the equation. The only thing that matters is Christ. He said, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. But the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And if you don't go here... Trials and mistreatment. Oh, you've been hurt. Oh, you've been hurt. Oh, I'm so sorry about your hurt. All we can do is empathize with people's hurts. Frankly, we need a church full of people who does more than empathize with people's hurt. We need to help them see purpose in the process so that they can add perseverance and they can add godliness and can add brotherly kindness and they can add love. And until you make it through, you really can't help others through the process. And unless you embrace while you're going through the suffering, unless you embrace perseverance, you've really disqualified yourself. 
That's why it goes on and it says, and if you lack these things, you're going to be ineffective. You want to be effective? Embrace these. Because it's the process that God has you on. Every missionary here, and we've got a bunch of them in, in our congregation this morning. Every missionary is sitting there going, man, tell it, tell it, tell it. Because our missionaries know. And they're not the only ones, but I'm seeing every missionary here is going, yeah, but I, I'm with you on that one. I'm with you on that one. Too many missionaries, you hit the, you, you, you hit the trial stage of the Christian development and you abandon ship. But it's not just missionaries. It's all of us. No, we, we need to help people through the process. And the next verse says, if these be yours in increasing measure, then you will keep yourself from being ineffective and unproductive. In increasing measure means that you don't just go through those eight steps once. You go through them repetitively. I'll go, you know, like God will call me back to knowledge and like, this next season, you really need to feed on the Word of God like you haven't done in a long time. Okay, Lord, I'm going to give Him my best shot back in knowledge. He'll give me that third calling. And then He'll, he'll put me through the trials again. And it's like, oh no, not, not, not stage uh, five there. I don't like stage five. Can't, can't we go on to something? No, it's the fifth one. Okay, I'll choose perseverance. Praise God. James 1, 2. Consider it pure joy. When you encounter trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. That's what we choose when we're going through the trials. It's we need the grace of perseverance. Am am I making sense this morning? Are are you with me? Can you see a little reflection of, of your life in this? And of what calling God may have for you right now? I pray that God will impart this to you so that you know what calling in this whole process. And again, it's not like, oh, good, man, I'm out of five. Now I'm in the seven. Praise God for brotherly affection. Well, I do praise God when I'm, when I'm in that one. But, but the, the more I layer this, the more God takes me through, the more of Him and the less of me. The more of Jesus there is to be seen through me. Amen.